Hello, and welcome to the Gravel Ride Podcast, where we go deep on the sport of gravel cycling through in-depth interviews with product designers, event organizers, and athletes who are pioneering the sport. I'm your host, Craig Dalton, a lifelong cyclist who discovered gravel cycling back in 2016 and made all the mistakes you don't need to make. I approach each episode as a beginner to unlock all the knowledge you need to become a great gravel cyclist. This week on the broadcast, we welcome Bruce Dunn from All Sports Productions out of Fayetteville, Arkansas. Bruce and his company have been around the cycling production business for many decades, but recently have come into frame putting on several gravel events in the Fayetteville area. Specifically, I invited Bruce on the show to talk about the Highlands Gravel Classic. While it's well-trod territory that Fayetteville and Bentonville and Arkansas in general have great gravel riding opportunities, what's interesting about the Highlands Gravel Classic is that it's the only United States world qualifier for the UCI Gravel Worlds. They held this similar position last year, and many in the gravel community were scratching their heads about what's UCI doing in gravel? Why the hell are they putting the world championships over in Italy? But one thing's for sure, the UCI World Gravel Championships offer opportunity not only for the professional athletes we follow, but also for age group athletes. And that was a super interesting part of the discussion with Bruce. It's just as an age group athlete, what does it look like? What's the experience for going to a world championships and why it should be on your radar? I found the conversation super interesting I think it's worth exploring and having a conversation about this. There's room for all styles of racing in gravel. So I'm hopeful we'll come out of this conversation understanding a little bit more about the Highlands Gravel Classic and what kind of experience you can have that day, but also what that journey looks like to the UCI World Gravel Championships and what that might mean for you as an age group athlete in addition to what the professional athletes might experience this year. With that said, let's jump right into my conversation with Bruce. Bruce, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have this conversation about the Highlands Gravel Classic, but we always like to start off by getting a little bit about your background. I think it's so interesting. Why don't you let us know sort of where you're located in the U.S., and then we have to jump in and talk about just your, your company and the productions you've been doing for the last couple of decades. So let's dive right in. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, All Sports Productions, uh, we just celebrated 20 years. And at the end of 2022, uh, started in the road scene, Joe Martin stage race. Uh, it's actually the oldest uh, road stage race in the country, uh, 45 years last year. So some big That's anniversaries. Huge. And so yeah, we do. We promote triathlons, running events, uh, gravel events, Grand Fondo road rides, and we're, we're a little all over the place. Cycling certainly is personally at my heart. I've been on a bike most of my life. It's been really unique ride, no pun intended. And we're excited about 2023 getting on the getting on this side of the pandemic and seeing again what we're talking about today, where the Highlands Gravel Classic takes us which, you know, I, I think is a kind of a new, uh, a new statement in the gravel world. I thought you, you told me an interesting story offline about the Joe Martin stage race and really how you got into production. Do you want to kind of relay? Cause I think it just underscores kind of your passion to just roll up your sleeves and get out there and do something for the sport. 
Yeah, I had a great job at the University of Arkansas doing fundraising, raising millions of dollars for one of the colleges. It, it was a, and it was an amazing couple of years there. But I've, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. I, I self-employed before that. And I'd been promoting the Joe Martin stage race as president of one of the local cycling teams. And so anyway, flew out to USA Cycling. Uh, I'm not sure I even scheduled an appointment. I just flew out and said, I want to put the Joe Martin on the national race calendar. I believe they said, where's Arkansas? By the way, you asked where I am, but we're in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And, and thankfully, they, they took my $75, which I think that's what it cost back then to be on the calendar. And, uh, you know, we celebrate 20 years later. That's amazing. Amazing. And, the, and across that journey, obviously, you've, you've mentioned that you've picked up multiple sports. What has kind of that journey been like and what sports have you added on along the way? And are, are there any other uh, events that you're super proud of that you would name drop in each of those categories? Yeah. Well, Ozark Valley Triathlon was my first uh, other event that year. And I had done triathlons with my wife, who has a, been a longtime triathlete. And and we actually met on the bike during the, the as members of the cycling team. But Triathlon is near and dear to my heart just because of the uniqueness of the sport. But, you know, why be mediocre with, <laughs> why be good at one when you can be mediocre at three is what I like to say in triathlon. <laughs> now, my triathletes may get a little upset with me, but, that, you know, that those are Valley. It'll celebrate, it celebrated 20 years. So that was one that is still around. And we have the national championships, by the way, in gravel triathlon and mountain bike triathlon for USA Triathlon. So that event has grown to the point that we got, uh, we were able to secure the national championships for those two disciplines. Gravel triathlon first year last year for a national championship. Yeah, it's, you know, event production is such a, such a challenging logistical operation. There's so much equipment needed and so much knowledge that you've learned across, along the way. You know, as someone who's put on very, very tiny events, it was pretty clear right from the get-go that to scale any of these things, the complexity involved just to get permits or make sure everybody's safe, they're they're pretty huge. What, what was it like, kind of that learning curve to figure all that stuff out? You know, it's interesting you say that. I've probably been doing events all my life. I just didn't realize it. I always volunteered to be on some committee. I, I loved being part of events. If I'd go to an event, I was looking at the details and not the show, if you will. But the early days were much, were much different back then than they are today. And so, uh, but what I didn't know, I didn't know until I had to literally go through it. And I probably didn't understand event production until probably 10 plus years into, the, into it. Tom Spiegel, you know, Big Bear Productions, he, he, he made a comment that I don't think people understand until they're, you know, 15 to 20 years into race production. And I would agree. It's, there's a lot going on. It really is. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm curious along the way, being in Fayetteville, just as, as a personal cyclist, were you riding off road all this time or was, did you start out on the road? Where were your passions lying? Roadie, hundred percent. I had a cyclocross <laughs> bike and I had a mountain bike to do adventure racing, but I was pretty much all road. In fact, I didn't understand people that like to get dirty on their mountain on their mountain bikes. But you know, something definitely changed a few years ago in the trail systems. They lowered the barriers to entry, and and in Northwest Arkansas, especially, 
it is a it was very technical 20 years ago even 10 years ago and so uh, that's one of the really interesting changes is that you know mountain biking's become a much more inclusive sport it's it's that green blue black way of building trails today and it certainly helped me uh, my my roadie mountain bike friends would just laugh laugh at me because it's like oh my god you're going to kill yourself on the mountain bike and then, you know, I told you the story about gravel that, you know, I grew up in a really small town and I hated gravel roads. <laughs> so we're now talking about the Highlands Gravel Classic. I love that. <laughs> I love it. Well, your reasoning back then was that it was destroying everybody's cars and it was a pain in the ass to drive on. So I think we can separate that from the sport of gravel cycling. Absolutely. I mean, you know, it's fun now. I love gravel and, uh, and it's fun just to go out. It was like it was 20, 25 years ago here in Fayetteville. We have one of the most road-friendly areas, and we have, even with the population that's grown, our road system is really good. The pro, the pro road cycling peloton tells us how good it is to ride here, but it's become busier. And so now I can go back to what I used to do 20-plus years ago on my gravel bike, just go out on my own and, you know, shut the world out. It's fun. Yeah. It's such such a such a great region from my mm -hmm. limited experience there visiting Bentonville. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to come back to just because I think it's going to be germane to later parts of this conversation is, you know, you mentioned your entire career in event event production. You've been interacting with the governing bodies of cycling. Can you just talk about sort of the maybe some of the requirements that putting on these races that are sanctioned uh, puts for, forth for you? Yeah, you know, I've I've served on, you know, pro road sport committees or the race director committee at USA Triathlon and and I was kind of surprised that what was required of someone to put on a race and the barriers that or the hoops or the bar you would have to step over seemed very low in my opinion given the complexity or the danger of doing an event. And I've always been a big advocate for professional development, but it, it, to be fair, this is what I do for a living, but I also believe no matter if you're doing it part-time or full-time, you need to have a level of expectation, safety, uh, protocols in place. And so for me, whatever, whatever permitting or whatever requirements in the sanctioning process, I, I just felt that was a good professional development. It was a good checklist to make me a better promoter. And so I've, I've been one that I've been pretty, you know, I've been pretty vocal about we need those checks and balances in place. Let's be real clear. I can get very upset if my costs rise one penny, <laughs> but, but the, you know, going through those checks and balances, I think is very important for any promoter, no matter what the, uh, what type of event you're promoting. When did gravel cycling events start to come into view for you? You know, that's very interesting. Some, I had, I had some really good friends that I'd bike racers. They had done a little bit of promotion. You've got to get into gravel. You've got to get into gravel. And I'm hearing this probably 2014 maybe. And, and when unbound those first three or four years, it was just red clay and people from Northwest Arkansas were coming back going, I had to quit after 30 miles because I've been pushing my bike. It weighed 30, 40 pounds. I couldn't go anymore. And I'm thinking that didn't sound fun at all. So I, that was my, that was my kind of experience besides what we would do locally 
is we would get on a mountain bike and ride on a forest service road. But I didn't consider that. But I'm I'm starting to hear this. But immediately I kind of tuned it out because of that just one experience I kept hearing. And it happened two or three years in a row. But then some more events started happening, obviously, and the bigger and bigger it became. And so, you know, BWRs on the radar. But then again, you hear eh, it's more roadie oriented. It's just some rough pavement. Rouge Rebay was my first experience at, I'd say, a gravel event. But we were all roadies going down to you know Louisiana and you'd get on some rough pavement, but certainly everybody was on a road bike back then. But I, I kept resisting it. I just couldn't find the new reason to have another event. And, and so, yeah, 215, 2016 is when it really started to register. I think you mentioned you, you put a little bit of a dirt section into a Grand Fondo in 2016, mm-hmm. but your yeah. first kind of standalone gravel event wasn't until 2018? Yes, exactly. And it was a one mile single track at the end. (laughs) (laughs) Just just to make the roadies a little bit nervous before they got there after, after event beer. Yes, exactly. We, I mean, I mean, most people, about half the group walked it. I mean, they could, it was, it was true single track mountain bike trail that was rough. And I thought, you know, here's something unique, right? And I don't know, it might've been too much. (laughs) <laughs> personally bruce i like it i think a little adversity that's that's you remember that you're going to tell stories for years about that grand fondo you did on your road bike that had single track at the end yeah exactly exactly <laughs> right i love it well let's fast forward a little bit to the highlands mm-hmm. gravel classic i think it started in 2022 yeah. and made a name for itself because it was a uci gravel worlds series qualifier in fact, the only one in the United States. Yes. <laughs> Signing up for that at that moment in time in 2022, you must have known you were, we would take a bunch of heat from the, just the gravel cycling community. Just talk about the process of you know, how you got and why you thought and were excited to, to bring this UCI event to the United States. Yeah. Well, that had been my eighth year of promoting a UCI men's and women's stage race. And so I'm very familiar with the UCI. Spoke to USA Cycling at the World Championships in January. They said, Bruce, we're going to have this Gravel World Series. It's going to come online. We're, uh, we want to be involved. And we think, uh, you know, you're the, you've got the perfect organization to put on this uh, gravel uh, race. And, and, I, and I love the f- fact that this was something new because, you know, the, as you well know, the gravel calendar is very, very busy. And I thought, if you're going to have something that's going to say something new in the marketplace and you want to make a hit right away, this is probably where you need to push your chips in. And so I was excited about it. I really was. Were there, were there specific criteria that putting on a UCI event was going to dictate in terms of the format, the length, anything different than what you would and had been producing in other gravel events you were doing? Not really. I mean, one of the things that was important to me is I wanted it to be 90 plus percent gravel. And the UCI, I think, was 70 or 75. And I said, okay, we're going to do something different. We're going to go and find 90 plus percent gravel. 
And so that was in the back of my mind that the age group classifications, having different distance for a different age group, having a tech guide, signage, those were all things we had already been doing in the road world. Certainly they were different than our other, other gravel events, but if you come to most of our events, we're trying to always raise the bar for the production level. And so I, I think we were already at that point. And so I wasn't feeling the pressure of doing something that was required of me that I hadn't been doing in some other type of event. Got it. You made mention of the different distances per categories. Can mm-hmm. you describe like what the regulations were about that? Yeah. So, you know, there's a, it's, uh, the minimum age is 19. So, and in the women's race, it's 19 to 59 and then six, uh, I'm sorry, 19 to 49 and then 50 plus. And then the men it's 19 to 59 and 60 plus. And so we, I think the one thing that people were pushing for is being over a hundred miles for the long, you know, the younger distance, uh, the younger ages, and I, I really, the more the UCI wanted to have a little bit, I mean, it was going to be a full on race. And so in that respect, I didn't, I think they didn't want it to be a slog fest, right? This is the last person standing because this is an age group qualifier, right? Top 25% in each five year age group is going to qualify to go to the world championships. And so the distances were pretty, you know, 50, 50 miles for the younger, I mean, the older and 70 miles for the younger groups was about the the sweet spot for that. There were some, okay. uh, you definitely had parameters though. I mean you I mean you could be a little shorter and you could definitely be longer for sure. So there was okay. uh, there was definite leeway. Yeah, it's interesting to see how we're sort of blending both the European vision of gravel and the American vision of gravel and how some of those just some of those beliefs or criteria have to come into play and there's got to be compromise along the way. I'm not a super fan of the ultra distance racing because mm-hmm. I do, I mean, I hear you like at 200 miles, like, are we really racing or is it really just a survival thing? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, let's be real clear. I'm, I don't think you are racing at those distances. And, and especially if you're going to have age group qualifying, right? I mean, if you don't have that, if you're taking some of these things off the table, then yeah, let's go all in. Let's do 200 miles and, and we know the front end's going to race and we know everyone else is just going to be out there and participating or racing as hard as they can. But if you truly want to compete against your age group of five years, you've got to have a, a distance that somewhat works for the top 30% of each age, in my opinion. Yeah, it's interesting this year, I, or sorry, last year I did an event where I backed down to the sort of medium distance. And honestly, it was the first race in several years that I felt like I was actually racing because I wasn't terrified, you know, is it possible for my body to get across a hundred mile race? And think about it in gravel. I mean, you're doing a hundred miles unless you are really fit. You're, you're probably out there just to complete it. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of interesting, right? You kind of look at it like, Hey, I want to compete today. Maybe I will back it down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm by the way, Craig, I only had one person that wanted that race to be longer after they finished. And, and and so, you know, I'm sure we'll get into what happened in 2022 and what we're doing for 2023, but no one wanted any further, uh, any more, uh, this (laughs) year. I promise you. 
it's got to be all those uh, Arkansas punchy climbs that add up. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> very much. It did. Yeah, I don't, you know, I don't want the conversation to get lost on UCI versus non-UCI racing because at the end of the day, people are going to come to the event. That'll be a component of why some people show up. But at the end of the event, they're looking for a great day out there, a great gravel experience. So in any of these conversations, that's what I really want to get out of you, Bruce. It's like mm-hmm. for someone considering the Highlands Gravel Classic, what kind of gravel are they getting in front of? What does the riding experience look like? What do they need to think about for their bike when they're coming to race this event? Sure. I mean, I think that's the, oh, my light's kind of gone off. I mean, hold on. Our podcasters that are just listening in. The, you know, the the gravel, it's interesting. I think I've mentioned this to you that Fayetteville has a really unique topography in that or geology in that true south of Fayetteville is one type of gravel. Due west is another and the Highlands Gravel Classic is due east. And Due East has some very punchy climbs, a lot more big rock as far as a base underneath the gravel. So you have, you know, this kind of topography that's really interesting. But generally speaking, if if the rain and the grading and all that's done, you've got a very smooth surface out there. Right. And so most people are, you know, most people are running up. Uh, a 42 on the front, 38, quite frankly, on the back. I don't think you have to go any bigger than that. If you want to, if you're racing, right, uh, you're going to have a much bigger, a different setup. But if, you, if you're all in racing, you're 42, 38 is what I saw this year or in 2022. Gotcha. Yeah. That makes sense from my experience in the region. I mean, mm-hmm. having that bigger, bigger front tire just would enable you to have more confidence when you're slamming down those, those hills. That is the one thing. Yeah, you could absolutely run a 38 in the front, no doubt. Yeah. I just think that we had, there were some pretty technical downhills. You probably saw that in Big Sugar because I know exactly the the couple of downhills you were probably on. And it's like, uh, this this is sketchy and I'm a pretty good bike handler. <laughs> yeah, no, it was it was super interesting in that particular event for me. With I happen to have a suspension fork on my bike and have confidence descending. So I felt totally comfortable just, going as fast as I could turn the pedals down the hill, but saw a whole bunch of people to the side of me grabbing the brakes and really taking a lot more time on that downhill. Yeah, that was smart. That That's a good idea. I We had we had people come back and start talking about that. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's always a trade-off, right? You're slogging a little bit more uphill, but the confidence yeah. that can lead you on the downhills is just off the charts. Yeah, that's for so sure. That, and, yeah. Yeah, I was going to say the Highlands course, though, for next year, and presumably it's quite similar. Next year, 66 miles, just under 5,000 feet of climbing for that event. Was it similar in 22? Yeah, uh, 22, that, that is the course. We, might make, we may make one change, and the one piece of feedback we got is there was no place for anyone ever to sit up. I mean, and you know, you go over those courses time and time again. You ride them, and it's like, what do you mean there's no place to sit up? And it's like... No, you're either racing through this area or you're trying to recover or you're going downhill or you're going uphill. But I never truly had a place where I could. And so we, we've identified a couple sections. We may want to do that, but we want to keep it with that 95% gravel because we believe that's such a unique yeah. uh, element to this event. Yeah, that's such an art to course design to take that <laughs> feedback in. Were you also, did you have feed zones and were there any specific requirements about the feed zones for the event? 
We didn't. Uh, yes, we had feed zones, and so we had neutral support. We didn't. We didn't do hand ups, and you know, I think that we'll 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 see if it that becomes one of those. You know, you can only have feed in a certain area. I haven't seen that come down the pike yet. But I, you know, like a lot of things, things you know change. You just saw what out the unbound dropped arrow bars for the elites, yeah. and so I think things are always changing, no matter where you are, right? And but the feed zones were certainly used because it was abnormally warm for this time of year. I mean, in and that that time of year in 2022. Got it. And how did the race unfold? Did it did it sort of fire in a way different than you expected, or did did the course kind of dictate what was going to happen? What's your kind of play by play? The course kicked everybody's ass. I mean, just flat beats, punched him in the nose, put him on the ground, drug him around a little bit, and then you know threw him in the garbage can. I've you know I've raced with a lot of these guys before, and uh, it's kind of interesting. A lot of the roadies and uh, the central part of this area that I used to race with 20 plus years ago are now getting into gravel, which I never would have thought. And it's their race again. Right. And they were telling me about Bruce. This, this is the toughest 66 miles I've ever done. And I'm thinking what? And I think it was heat. It was gravel, certainly the terrain, right? I mean, you know, it's a lot of climbing in that type of uh, conditions and people were racing. They, they showed up. They wanted they wanted their 25%, even if they didn't go to Italy. There was a lot of elements going on, Craig, that I I hadn't quite, you know, planned for. But and then the back end, people were hurting. They really were. It was it was a tough day. It was a tough day. Did you find like overall, just given the the type of promotion and it being a UCI Gravel World qualifier that most of the athletes coming in were intentional, like I'm here to race. Or did you still get the feeling of this is an event that is accessible to everybody and the back end is a party and the front end is where the people are racing? We definitely had that element. There's no doubt about it. You know, the one thing, and, it, and certainly you, you can go on and look at, you know, a couple of publications about the, uh, I think it was anemic attendance. It's just because we couldn't advertise because, you know, the whole reason for a Gravel World Series is for a world championship. And to have the date and the location, still a lot of uncertainty. We weren't able to advertise to the larger group. We really had, you know, we just didn't want to advertise something until we knew all the facts. But of that 140 people that, you know, showed up, I mean, there were people from South Florida that were there to fully race, California, Maine. I mean, it was across the country. It was like 28 states came last year. It was crazy. Yeah. But they were there. They were there to race. And then there was the other group. They absolutely were there because of the type of event it was, knowing that they were never going to qualify. And so, like you say, uh, it was a party for them and an experience. Yeah. Going into 2023, obviously the UCI has got one world championship behind them. They're putting out an ambitious global calendar of which you're a part of and the only race in the United States, I guess there's one race up in Canada. So going forward, obviously the, the kimono is open. You can market freely. Like you're part of this big series. What, what kind of changes are you making in 2023? Or is it really just about getting the word out and inviting athletes who are interested in this style of racing to come, come visit you? 
it, it really, Craig, we, we just, we want to replicate everything we did year one. I mean, we, we felt like we knocked it out of the park as far as the venue. We didn't, and honestly, I said at some point, you know what, we're going to put on the very best race we can. And I say that for every new event we do. I don't care if it's a 5K run, it's, you know, it's a fun run, do the very best you can, and eventually people will come. And so that, and, but you put, you hit the nail on the head. No one knew about it, quite frankly, even with all the yeah. publicity, quote unquote. So that's our goal this year, right? Tell everybody, hopefully they'll, you know, come have this experience. Yeah. And I think that age group story is actually really interesting because a lot of times people might look at the the letters UCI before a race and think, mm-hmm. oh, this is only intended for professional athletes. This, unlike the road world championships, is a totally different beast as I understand it. And I don't understand it very well, but I think, isn't this similar to like the UCI Grand Fondo series? It's exactly the same. You know, that's, and then I mentioned that USA Triathlon follows that uh, model of their age group uh, national championships. You qualify for the world championship. So I was familiar with that. And you're right. The, the UCI Grand Fondo Road has that same model. And, you know, the pros are just going to add to this narrative, in my opinion, because when you go to the event, it's a world championship for an age grouper. If you ever had gone to one the USA Triathlon, USA Triathlon World Championships, it's a parade of nations. You know, a 48-year-old is feeling like they literally arrived at the Olympics. And I think that there's something to that for people that want to do that. Oh, yeah, 100%. If, if the listener allows themselves to fantasize for a moment and, you know, has the capability to get in that top 25%, the ability to go to the world championships in, in Italy next year and represent your country for your age category, like the spirit of gravel, notwithstanding, like that would be an amazing experience. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and you know, I think, I know my wife and I do, we sometimes on our, we're looking at vacations, how can we roll in, you know, a cycling trip with that? Right. And so I think that's maybe the other extra point to this is that, you know, we like to travel and maybe we'll qualify or maybe one of us will and the other one won't, but we're still yeah. going to do this. And, and the bonus is that yeah. world championship. So I think there's a lot of different elements all the way to, I know the people that went to the world championships this year, a couple of them are local and they've already signed up and you can tell they're training for it already. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you that, like if you had any sort of sense of, the people who were in that top 25% of their category, who was able to make the trip over to, to Italy and participate? Yeah. I mean, you know, of the uh, four or five, I, again, I think it was, you know, that first year was just a bit of a, you know, it was such an unknown, right? Uh, now, I think you're going to have quite a few more people. But I mean, Craig, we already have 29 states that have signed up. And, and and I'm thinking, and we and, and guess here's what's crazy: the second most represented state outside Arkansas is Florida, and they're all from South Florida. I, I <laughs> you know, I'm thinking to myself, what? Why are you doing this? I mean, that's great, right? I mean, I'm loving it, but you, you see that this mentality of we want to do this, and we're getting out of. I mean, we're coming from South Florida, and we're not coming to Fayetteville just for the hell of it. Right. I mean, you know, they're coming, uh, you know, they're coming to qualify. Yeah, I love it. I mean, I think it just sort of adds this, this interesting element, like that journey, mm-hmm. like you're talking about, go, 
go over to Fayetteville, try to qualify, qualify, go represent your country. Like that's going to be an amazing journey. So Bruce, I, I appreciate the time. Super thankful to have you on the podcast and talk about this event and wish you best of luck and can't wait to see how it goes down this year. Yeah, we're very excited. I, it's, you know, we, when you have new events and you, you really don't know what the first year is going to be, but the expectations always for us are the second year and our, our expectations are very high. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty excited uh, so far uh, by the early registrations. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I'll put out all the information in our show notes so people know how to register and get in touch with you if they have, if they have any additional questions. Great, Greg. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah. I enjoyed the conversation. Cheers. Cheers. Bye-bye. That's going to do it for this week's edition of the Gravel Ride Podcast. Big thanks to Bruce for coming on the show and talking through the Highlands Gravel Classic and the UCI World Championship Qualifier out there in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I'll put a link in the show notes so you can find out all the details for the Highland Gravel Classic. If you're interested in connecting with me, I encourage you to join The Ridership. That's www.theridership.com. That's a free global cycling community where you can interact with me directly, as well as thousands of other members of the gravel cycling community. No pressure, totally free to join, but a great back channel and a great way to connect with other gravel cyclists. If you're able to support the show, please visit buymeacoffee.com slash thegravelride. Additionally, ratings and reviews are hugely appreciated. It's a great way for me to get discovered by more gravel cyclists. Until next time, here's to finding some dirt under your wheels. <laughs>